Hi guys, welcome to Brokenomics. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about South Africa with investor uh, and now political activist, I believe you are, Rob Herzog. Rob, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dan. It's more capitalist activist than overlaps with politics. Yeah, we, we were just talking beforehand. It, it, it turns out that um, I, I think we've both sort of forgotten this in, until we got chatting, but we actually almost did a deal together, didn't we, about sort of 10 years ago or so. Um, because you, you've actually spent a lot, of t- a lot of your time in London doing the corporate route. So do you want to give the audience a little bit of background on you, your background and, and your career? Yeah, I'm, I grew up in South Africa, you know, school, university, military service in the days when we had to do it. And then I spent six years in the US, Goldman Sachs, Harvard Business School. And then I worked as Rupert Murdoch's right-hand man. That's a whole <laughs> story in itself. Okay. And then Johan Rupert called and said, I want you in Europe and I want you to join Richemont, which I did. So I did that whole corporate route and I spent time living in Amsterdam and Milan there, but mainly in London and then went out to become an entrepreneur. I had a big failure. I built Sportal into the biggest sports media, internet, wireless business where no one really knew what internet and wireless were. And that failed. And was that part I've of the dot-com bust or was it um, yes, for other reasons? the first one, the first okay. one. Yeah. When I saw those planes fly into the World Trade Towers, I went, I think this right. is game over for us. Yeah. Um, but you learn a lot in failure. You really do. And yeah. then I founded Marquee Jet Europe, built that up, sold it to NetJet, and then joined VistaJet when they had 12 aircraft only. And they're over 300 now. Yeah. So I've been in aviation, finance, sport, media, um, and other areas more recently. Mm-hmm. And I came back to South Africa six years ago because I've reached a point in my career, 31 years abroad, missed the country, and felt... Why can't we just live somewhere different for a while? And my wife, who's a New Zealander, said, Cape Town, that's it, not Johannesburg. Yeah, I, I hear it's a remarkable country. I've never been, but um, I, I, hear it is, it, I hear it is an absolute gem. Why don't you tell us a little bit about South Africa itself then? So South Africa it has, I think, 26 different languages, 60 million people probably 10 to 15 million of those are are from the rest of Africa who just crossed the border and wandered in. Um, It's it's kind of a chaotic mess of different tribes all over the place. I mean, even amongst, you know, the white people, they're the Afrikaners who tend to be more rural, they're the urban tend to be more English, although that's overlapping. We have strains of everything, Greeks and Portuguese and Brits and Germans all over the place. And then in the other racial categories, if you can call it that, you know, a huge Indian population in Natal. By the way, Gandhi was born in South Africa. We're claiming him. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then a coloured community, which is the mix of blacks and whites and various other tribes all over South Africa. So it's almost ungovernable in my view. It's just too hard to have all these languages and tribes. And, and you know, many of the Afrikaners can trace their forebears, 13, 14, even 15 generations. They're not from Europe. They're Afrikaner, they're South African. Mm. So it's, it's, we've got all these issues, but we've got everything. We've got everything except oil and gas, everything, manganese, copper, yeah. iron ore, gold. And we've just discovered oil and gas, by the way, on shore. Oh, okay. So this is the, this has, this that country completes has the more, picture. So talking well, talk about the immigration thing. Properly, 
Yeah, talk about the immigration thing you mentioned, because I understand that um, South Africa is, is reliably in the top three for Africa. I mean, I think it, it fluctuates every time I look at it, but it's, it's either Egypt, Nigeria or South Africa. And Correct. of course, because of its position, if, if you want to move to a, to a um, more vibrant economy and you're in you're the sub-Saharan Africa region, you're, you're, going, to want to, you're going to want to migrate in. So you, you, you presumably have quite significant flows of people. We do. And the difference between Egypt, Nigeria and South Africa is South Africa is the most diverse industrialized economy. Mm. You know, we've got rail tracks and transmission lines and airports. And then we've got every single mining and mineral metal, agriculture, tourism. We've got everything. Whereas Nigeria is overly dependent on oil and gas. Yes. And even Egypt doesn't have the manufacturing base that we have. Yeah. Um, so. South Africa's got everything, but we've also got the worst government in Africa. And we'll get to that. And we've yeah. had beforehand, you know, with the apartheid government, and now we've got the disastrous ANC government. So, I mean, when are we going to get the government we deserve? Do, do you, okay, let's, let's, let's touch on um, apartheid then. Um, obviously, that was um, the system that operated. Can't, I can't even remember when it ended now. Would it be, was that late 80s? 94. Well, we, had, we had the first democratic election in 1994. Okay. But apartheid was voted in in the 50s. Right. Okay. So it had been a long time coming. It was understood that this was on the way. Okay. So uh, apartheid here, the, the ending of apartheid has al is always described as um, an unqualified success. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is for the, for the principle of it, but in the actual practicalities of transitioning from one governance structure to another, how was that actually handled and how effectively was it done? So it was handled extremely well, extremely well. We, we wrote a constitution that was probably the best constitution in the world. We, we had a peaceful migration from a ruling minority to majority rule. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the world, mm -hmm. peaceful migration. We created the Truth and Reconciliation Committee where for crimes under apartheid, if you stood up and told the truth and told it to the people who were affected, you would be forgiven. You know, these are elements, extraordinary elements that are sophisticated. And from 1994 to 2004, 2005, our economy grew like a rocket. You know, we had people of meritocracy, the best people in every position. We have Nelson Mandela as one of the great spiritual leaders of the world. Um, we won the Rugby World Cup in 95. You know, South yes. Africa boomed. It absolutely boomed. Well, I remember, South Africa often, I remember South Africa often being described as, a, as, a, um, as the African superpower, quite unironically un at that time. And it was until probably very recently. But, but for those 10 years, people forget that from 94 to 2004, 2005, we were an unqualified success. And then... Zuma got elected and the wheels started coming off. We'll get to that. Ah, okay, that's interesting. Now, just us touching on one of your earlier points, you're saying that um, South Africa is ungovernable. Whenever I chatted to um, African guys, they always tell me, because I'm, I'm interested in politics and dynamics and stuff like that, um, and, and so whenever I've asked about your government, the, the government of, of any African country, they always tell me that they're basically not interested in the government of the country. They think along very tribal um, terms, that the, it's, it's the tribe that matters. It's not the boundary. It's, it's not the government. And, and that's what they sort of focus on. So from what you were telling me earlier, it sounds like there is 
quite a few different tribes, um, as well as the various different white groups. So how, how does how do people in South Africa actually think about the different power structures? Uh, and then perhaps we can come to talk about the government itself and what it's trying to how it's trying to tie that together. So there are fifty five countries in Africa. Some of them are multi party democracies and are very sort of sensible and modern. How we describe you know Rwanda, Ghana, Kenya, you know. It's not the old strong man and tribe anymore. So mm. certain African countries have moved on. South Africa definitely was in that position. And the one positive about this diversity of South Africa is there's no dominant tribe. There's no one that can say, we're the dominant tribe. You know, maybe the Zulus have greater population, but they're mainly in KwaZulu Natal around Durban. You know, the Cape is mainly Afrikaans speaking. You know, each of these different tribes and communities have their different regions. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to a point that I want to make about pushing decisions down, federalizing, even secession, maybe we can mention. <laughs> but um, South Africa's constitution has been an extraordinary thing. But from 94 onwards, the vast majority of voters were still tribal, church-going, conservative, and followed the strong man, the original African approach. And the education of what is a constitution, what is parliament, why are people telling the president, no, he isn't he the strong man? Every day people learnt about democracy and the constitution. We've had 30 years of ANC rule and the constitution has held up pretty well. So we're going backwards right now and I'll talk about that. But yeah. frankly, we've gone a long way in people understanding democracy and constitution. Okay, what is the guiding philosophy of the ANC? So the ANC was a liberation organization. They were there to get rid of apartheid. And they did, with help from other people around the world and people mm -hmm. in South Africa. The fact they were able to actually deliver a working, powerful e economy and support the constitution for 10, 12 years was a superb, superb thing. However, from when Jacob Zuma got elected to today, everything has gone backwards. Economy, um, judiciary, you know, there's been state capture, which I don't know if people know what that is, but the socialist ideology that underpins the ANC and has for 60, 70 years is emerging now in a very scary way. Okay, We've because I, I, I've heard takes on the ANC that they're rooted um, originally as um, a, a terrorist organization and a communist organization. Now, because they're they're coming up against a, the system that they were coming up against, I never quite know what to make of that perspective. So I think terrorist and communist is probably a bit strong. There is okay. a communist party in South Africa voting against it. I'd say it's more socialist and a, and a liberation organization. But most of the veterans that fought in liberation are actually turning against the ANC now. They said, this is not, this ANC now is okay. not what we fought for. So this, okay. the ANC is starting to shred. In 94, when we had our first national election, there was 75% of the country voted ANC. And there was one tiny little place called Cape Town. <laughs> the only place that voted for the Democratic Alliance, the main opposition. Today, the Democratic Alliance has 25% and the ANC is going under 50. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you, have, mm. you do have genuine elections, do you believe? We do. We do. Unlike Zimbabwe. 
Okay, that, okay, that, 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 that's very yeah. encouraging. We have municipal, we have municipal, yep. every second year, and then every other second year we have national. And it's coming next year. We're having a national election next year. It's a make or break election. Is it possible the ANC could lose that one and there could be a change of government? Yes, but it's it's a coin toss. Okay, fantastic. You've got eight eight months to go, and I could talk about who's in the running and the scary yeah. potential option. Because the do you know the Red Beret economic freedom fighters? No, I don't. Julius Malema. Julius Malema found he was he used to be head of the ANC Youth League. He's a populist. He set up the economic freedom fighters. They wear red berets. And they sing a song, Kill the Boer. Oh, yes. Kill okay, I've heard, I've heard of this. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so, that, that's something if, I very much wanted to come on to. Um, but, but just while we're winding into that, so that period, that golden period, 94 to 2005, that was, that could be described as South African meritocracy. Absolutely. Would that be fair? Okay, because whenever I, because I encounter a lot of South Africans here in, in the UK and in London. Um, and increasingly, I'm hearing that you know meritocracy has completely gone out the window. Even in family-run businesses, you know, uh, if if you're white, you're basically being ejected from from your own business or or being able to employ um, people. What, what what's happened? So there's a there's a regulation called BEE, Black Economic Empowerment. Mm-hmm. Okay, the idea was to help previously disadvantaged people get into the economy. So any business that did any business with the government had to have at least 26% of its shareholding owned by previously disadvantaged blacks. It has failed spectacularly because all of those positions have just gone to a small group of elite. Well, because presumably if if, if you need to inject 26% of the capital, there was a limited number of people who actually have capital. They didn't need to put the capital up. The company would oh. loan them the money to buy the shares. And... Oh, okay. So, so there's what... a group of fabulously rich, yes. black empowered uh, business people who got all the goodies and the average person got nothing. It has failed. And it's actually chasing people away. So I'll give you a quick example. You know Elon Musk's Starlink? Yeah. So St- Elon Musk, born in South Africa, was going to bring Starlink to South Africa, which would allow high-speed internet in the rural areas. And have I, I would have thought that would be a game-changer for South Africa, something like that. Do you know the reason it hasn't happened? Because the government says it has to be 26% BEE. And he said, well, stuff that. But, so they're not coming in. Okay. I know it's good for the people, but do the government care? No, because they're pursuing this deranged socialist ideology, racial ideology. I mean, it's just... So hang on, what's, what's that... What's that doing to inward investment? Because you've just given me the Starlink example. Killing but... it. Killing it. <sighs> South Africa, I mean, if you were a Martian looking down yes. at the earth and you had all the information possible, how much of your portfolio, what percent would you allocate to Africa and to South Africa? Be zero to South Africa. Because okay. we are over-regulated. We have ridiculous regulation like BEE. And we have something going through Parliament called EWC. Just listen to these three words. Yeah. Expropriation without compensation. Oh, Just, right. Yeah, that's, that's investable, isn't it? <laughs> right. So why would you invest in this country? Okay. I mean, well, I, I, I think I'm going to go and check my portfolio after this and see if I've got any um, South African gold miners because, um, yeah. 
I mean, in my speeches, I say South Africa is uninvestable under the ANC. Okay. But if we remove the ANC, it'll turn around so fast. We'll be growing at 8% a year. I mean, I can give you a really exciting scenario. Like I had a dream two years time of the ANC art. Yeah, please do. Yeah. yeah what, 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 you know, what, 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 what's happening there? What, what could this look like? So if the ANC are out yeah. and the Democratic Alliance and what's called this, this moonshot coalition that's coming together at the moment of all the opposition parties, if we can get to 51%, there is a wall of money from Europe, America, people who are invested oh, already that would come in to this country. I mean, it's a, the tourist dream and it's yeah. inexpensive. But every mining, mineral, manufacturing, it's got everything. It's got educated people. And it will take off like a rocket. We'd grow at 8%, but we've got to get rid of this all over-regulation and nonsense that's prohibiting investment. But given Which we that it, quickly. Yeah, given, given that it's gone... Um, so communist parties are not good at running economies, but they are good at... Um, getting people, they, they are good at selling a message to people who pay very little attention to politics. So given that it is a mass democracy, how likely is it that, that you know, the, that they, you can actually do something like that? Okay, so let me give you the really cynical view. Yes. So a very important senior American from the State Department asked to meet me. We had a very interesting discussion. And he asked me a question. He said, when you look at what the ANC is doing, do you think it's malevolent? or incompetent. It's normally okay. both, but okay. And it's both. Yeah. There's a huge element of incompetence, but there's a lot of malevolence as well. And they have just, ESCOM, Electricity Supply Commission, used to supply electricity to 60% of Africa, of Africa. We today have load shedding. Six hours a day, we don't have electricity at our house. Six hours a day. But, and people think that's the worst of it. Yeah. The worst of it is Transnet, our rail network. Yeah. We had 10 years ago, 40 million rail passengers a year. We now have 3 million. The whole network has been pilfered and broken and stolen. And, you know, all the budgets have been diverted. There's this element called state capture began with the ANC. Cyril Ramaphosa, part of it doing cadre deployment. So this is Soviet playbook, C-A-D-R-E, Cado or cadre. And they put people into positions of power because they were ANC loyalists. These people mostly had no idea the position they were being put into, senior positions, will then divert budgets to the ANC or to themselves and break and steal. South African Airways is gone, gone was the best airline in Africa. Transnet or rail network is as good as dead. ESCOM, we get six hours a day of load shedding. We don't get electricity. Now I can go on and on and on. Every state-owned enterprise has been pilfered and broken and killed. Okay, so w- when we talked earlier about the, um, the, the, the capital being accumulated by a narrow elite, do they also happen to be the people that are making the rules? A mix of them. So the ones that are closely associated with the ANC, yes. But but the rules are, you know, it goes through Parliament. Yeah. You know, it, it's a so, so basically I'm, I'm asking, has an oligarch class captured the, or are they also, you know, the senators and, and so on? 
No. They're just okay. milking money and living it up and hoping it goes on. Okay, so, so that's actually encouraging because if, if the oligarch class is separate from the ruling class, um, if, if, if they're the same thing and they command the military, you're not going to get a change of, of government because they, they control Correct. the military. But if, if they're separate, then you have, a, you have a chance. But let me tell you something amusing. Yeah. People are scared of, obviously, there's a lot of violence inside, but they, but they say, well, what about a coup d'etat? And I go, which group in South Africa will do the coup d'etat? There isn't a group big enough or strong enough. And the army is a disaster. It's fallen apart because all the budgets have been stolen. There's no training. I mean, you know, it's, our army used to be very strong. It's pathetic. Yeah. Our police, our police, okay, most middle class people have a gun, a gun license, and a lot of ammo. Okay, this is South Africa. Uh, if I lived in South Africa, I'd have a gun and a lot of ammo. As you should. Yeah. The head of the firearms division, I won't give his name, in the police said, Rob, the police go to the range once a year and they only have enough ammo to shoot at a fixed target. You guys, you civilians with your guns are way better trained, way better armed and way more effective than the police. So okay. who's, you know, no one controls the army. No one wants to. The army is completely useless and the police, some try their best. 5% of murders in South Africa are prosecuted. So you can get away with murder, get away with stealing. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.